I grew up in Mineola, Texas. Uh, uh, it would be con it was a farming town. Uh, small farms all around the community. Uh, uh, Ten to twenty, a uh, sixty-acre farm was a big farm, and everybody came to town on Saturday. Uh, it was a cotton area. Uh, we had a compress here. They sold cotton, and it was a farming uh, area. And my dad uh, uh, started off uh, in the cleaning business, uh, tailoring business, and from there he went to uh, to the men's clothing business. Um, and the town turned to be a railroad town in about 1929, the terminal move from Longview, Texas to Mineola. And that was a turning point for Mineola. We became a railroad town. Oh, we, the community didn't move around. Before World War I, people didn't move to other communities. So most of the people I started to school with, I graduated with. Uh, we went all the way through. There was an influx when the railroad moved in. Uh, uh, from young people, and right at the end of my school year, when the Hawkins oil boom came in, uh, we had an influx of people that moved in from Hawkins. But most of us went all the way through. Unfortunately, most of the friends that I've gone through, I'm 89 years old now, and so a lot of my schoolmates are not here. Well, it was great growing up. I was on North Pacific Street in Mineola. You know now North Pacific, but back then it was a boulevard. We had trees down the center, and it was not paved. It was sandy, and Mr. Mosley was the uh, street uh, foreman or took care of our streets. And he had a caterpillar tractor pulling a grader in the back, and he would come down and grade the streets, and he would let us, his young people, stand on the platform and ride with him on his tractor. Uh, and we had no organized. Uh, uh, type of, uh, for the young people, no organized entertainment. We rode our bicycles, we uh, went out into the country, we uh, just enjoyed life. It was a really free life, and our swings were, Cossack swings are uh, uh, hanged uh, you know, on a single rope or in a, a big tire, and we'd swing in the tire, but it was a great time to grow up. You're starting in 1937 as a young person, the ages that y'all are here are younger. Knowing Europe is going to be at war, then when I'm your age, Europe's at war. I don't know what it, you know how it's going to affect me. I start the college, and then uh, you spend uh, years that you should be a year older than you are, and I'm at sea commanding people, so I'm I'm, I'm doing mature stuff that I wouldn't normally be doing. Uh, so, it, it, it uh, has a, a great effect on what happens on, on your later life. It, you know, it, I don't know what it would have been like if it hadn't been there. So, so it, did, it did have an effect. I, I enrolled in, in Naval OTC at Rice University when I went as a freshman, knowing the war was coming. That was in 1941. December of 41, I was riding with a friend of mine on South Main Street in Houston, and we heard on the radio we were at war, so, uh, Japan. So, our unit was, our neighborhood to see was called up to, to active duty and sent back to college. I entered it at Rice in uh, 1943. Uh, where did active you, duty, I didn't, I entered in 41. Where did you receive your basic training? Uh, we finished our at Naval OTC, we finished the end of our junior year at Naval OTC in February of 1944, and uh, 
we were two weeks before I end of our junior year, we were told that we would be called to, to active duty and be commissioned in the United States Navy. So I received my ensign's commission in 1949. Uh, I mean, not correct. Uh, I received my ensign's commission uh, February 28, 1944. And from then, uh, I was sent immediately to Fort Pierce, Florida for amphibious training. When did you deploy overseas? Deployed overseas in uh, uh, January 1945. What theater of operations were you in? South Pacific and uh, the South Pacific up into uh, the, the uh, Sea of Japan. Were you involved involved in any invasions? We were involved in the occupation and usually involved uh, two to four weeks after the initial invasion. And that was throughout the South Pacific, uh, uh, New Guinea, uh, Iwo Jima, Okinawa, uh, only into Japan. Uh, what was your military specialty? Uh, boat officer, assistant navigator, division officer, and top watch officer on board USS Todd. My most prime, profound memories are not as much as the war as right after the war. Uh, is we signed an armistice, uh, not an armistice, we signed a peace treaty with, in fact, I was uh, at Tokyo Bay, uh, and our ship was pulled up and we watched, I watched the ceremonies aboard the Missouri through a, a long spyglass and watched MacArthur and all of the, all of the ceremonies. After I, I had some time left on the GI Bill uh, after I, while I was in college, and so I really liked flying and, and had a field here in Mineola of teaching, and I was able to go to the GI Bill and learn to fly in 1946. The, the aviation is a wonderful mode of transportation. Uh, and it, and it's a safe mode of transportation, and it's a, a freedom of flight that. Uh, I don't think to experience it is not a way for me to explain it to you, but uh, uh, walking on on high places, uh, you know, if I'm high walking on a narrow stretch or something, I have a tendency to, you know, to walk back. I mean, I, the heights bothered me, but inside an airplane, inside it, I feel really safe. What has been your most significant journey? Uh, well, in flying myself, uh, flying the last time I went around the world and I got a chance to go down to South Africa through the Indian Ocean, and uh, uh, I can show you on a map. It was 30 days that I flew my airplane around the world. First time I did it was in 1986, uh, and I was with other aircraft in 1990 when I went around in my plane by myself. Or myself on a co-pilot, there were two of us. But it was quite interesting, the places that we were able to go to and, and spend some time. And in areas we were able to fly our plane, fly my plane around in those areas like South Africa. Uh, 